Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. And I am thrilled to have the incredible writer Jim Zub back on the show. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back. Returning. What, returning what an visit. honor to have you back. Oh, I will invite oh, you again. again. <laughs> oh, it's very nice. You know, it, it's interesting because I, I haven't had uh, you know, I haven't done much work in the in the X office, like, but the the things I have done, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, and it's such a joy to be able to, you know, contribute to the ongoing mutant canon. Uh, it's it's a blast. So yeah, I like talking about this stuff. It's fun to sort of dig into those deep, dark corners. And I know that's what you love about this stuff too. We're both big continuity dorks so i great. love uh i love your writing i would love to see you on oh, an x however i'm the handbook guy uh one right. of the things i'm trying to do with my show is to put the x-men in the context of the wider marvel universe sure. uh when you came on we did a fantastic four issue as an example uh, right we're uh okay. my next recording after this is with uh tom brevoort we're doing a century uh a century focus, oh, wow but it's got an x-men spin on it so yeah I'm, nice. I'm trying to i'm trying to put us in the context uh, I mean, Tom's the guy. He's uh, he'll be pretty good for uh, for deep cut knowledge. I got to tell you, Tom's been on my show once before, and it might be my favorite episode. We we go awesome. super like <laughs> super like nerdy. Dude, I, I've actually interviewed Tom a while back uh, for a video that I did, and the funny thing was, uh, I know we're on audio, so you can't see this, but behind me there's a copy of X Men number four. And it just sits there because it was a gift from a friend of mine because he knows Scarlet Witch is one of my favorite characters and that's her first appearance. Except on that cover, she's the lime green witch. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but not only that, but not only did Tom recognize it just by, you know, you, the barely little postage stamp size view of it, he told me just like a ridiculous amount of trivia about the issue. He knew who the inker was. He knew a couple continuity mistakes that were in the issue. He knew about specific plot points of that issue. He could tell, he's just... It, it was freakish, actually, uh, how quickly he recalls weird little bits of data. About I told him at the end of the episode, I feel like I just hung out with like uh, librarians for an hour, yes. which is an absolute yes. compliment. Uh, my shirt has, or my, my podcast has a shirt out with the Coffee A Go Go logo on it, which <laughs> is the X Men 60s shop. And he's like, hey, awesome. it's the Coffee A Go Go. And I'm like, most yeah. people don't even know that. No, no, that's some deep cut stuff. And, you know, <laughs> when we were doing um, uh, Avengers No Surrender, there was some crazy deep cut uh, Avengers continuity that we were able to utilize thanks to the power of Mark Wade and Tom Brevoort. And being in a room with the two of them planning story stuff is, is amazing, but also like no matter what story thing you bring up, they will then say, oh, that's like, and then they will tell you the three other times that that has happened in the Marvel universe and ways that we could use it, but maybe do a nostalgic twist on it. And you're just like, holy <laughs> crap. You know, it's uh, it is an incredible thing to be in the middle of that continuity whirlwind. And God, uh, God yeah. I could I could interview you about just your Avengers work. Uh, okay. uh, Jim has done Jim has done Uncanny Avengers. He's used X characters in his uh, in his Avengers run. Yes, uh, he did Hunt for Wolverine, Mystery and Madripoor, which we yeah. talked to you about on the podcast. He used X Men characters in Champions. Uh, yes. and Avengers No Road Home. And you recently did some Wolverine stuff for- yeah, I did Life of Wolverine, the the sort of, I, not even reestablishing. It was just like taking and tightening up the kind of thread of continuity of Logan's life, what events happened in which order and how they all kind of relate to each other, which is always a fascinating thing because you have dozens of different writers who have contributed to that character and you're trying to find through lines, like what are the patterns that make this character tick. And that was 
one of the deepest writing assignments I've ever done in terms of research. I read hundreds of issues of yeah. Wolverine appearances and then tried to contextualize them um, and, and get rid of the chaff and just sort of go, okay, what is the most important elements of it? If, if you're coming into this cold, what do you need to know to understand about Wolverine in this digital series that we put together and pick those key moments? And it was ridiculous what stuff made like ended up on the cutting room floor where I'm, you know, stuff that I thought to myself, Oh no, that's super important. And then the grand scheme of things, I was like, nah, it's not really as important yeah, as I thought, yeah. you know, you yeah, did a great, weird. you did a great job on my show. I do a monthly trial uh, where I read a whole character's chronology once a nice. month. Oh my uh, God. And sometimes it's, <clears throat> sometimes it's minor. Like I just finished Sauron. Uh, I'm currently, right. I'm currently binge reading uh, Craven the Hunter's entire chronology, which nice. is nice. You did a beautiful job with the Wolverine stuff, though, Thank and, you. and and you worked it in pretty seamlessly. You could have gotten lost in the Romulus weeds, as an example, but <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned them a couple of times, and that's yeah. all we needed, you know? Yeah, and, and one of the things I wanted to sort of clarify, because... I know at different points there was there was I'm sure there were plans to make Romulus like master villain kind of material and then it didn't, but it didn't materialize <laughs> in the final thing so I, there was always this sort of sense of there could be other shadowy figures or other organizations and so he's just part of a broader conspiratorial kind of thing of people that have manipulated Wolverine or want to utilize his power or steal yeah. his abilities or all that kind of stuff mixed together you know. Now, yeah. Jim has also used X-Men characters in uh, in your Devil's Reign, Villains of yes. Fire stuff. You used X-Men characters in your recent Thunderbolts run. You're also featuring Arcade in the new Murder World stuff. That's right. You're all over the X office, man. <laughs> yeah, I am. But it's weird because it's not. I'm not doing many stuff for the for like what you'd call the core X office. Like the X-Men, you know, editorial will sign off on what I'm doing or whatnot. But like Mystery and Madripoor is probably the only one that's like an X focused book where I was working in the X office murder world this current thing I'm co-writing with Ray Fox that is five you know connected one shots that make one larger story and because arcade is loosely considered an X-Men villain by the broader Marvel universe he's one of, of my favorites I love he's arcade. great um but that means that I'm working with Sarah Brunstad in the X office to do the book and she's being an amazing editor and it's been a really fun project but it, again it doesn't really impact very much with the broader mutant stuff going on right now so we kind of get to be off in our own corner and have fun which with is, it but I always great. love you know taking those threads and bringing them together or or old bits of continuity and old storylines and and doing the thing that I loved growing up which was when I would read the Marvel books, um, you know, they would reference each other in these ways that were, if you didn't read the previous stories, you could instantly understand motivation and what the point was. But if you had read the older stories, you would appreciate even deeper the connective tissue that went right. on between these stories. And I feel like sometimes in the, in the, the greater plan of, oh, you know, we need to make these series new number ones or new jumping on points sometimes they lose that continuity or vice versa. They make impenetrable new series where you're just like, you know, there's a way to use continuity, but also explain like to make sure that readers understand how this fits into the, 
the broader kind of oh, tapestry. Yeah, yeah. And as a and reader, as a reader and a researcher, I am fine when people build on the continuity or even yeah. ignore it and tell their own thing. But when you contradict it, it's that's the thing. There's all sorts of ways to say this isn't important to this story right now, so it doesn't have to come up. But we never contradicted that it happened. You know what I mean? Like if characters have met before and they act like they've never met before, that's that's frustrating. You know, stuff like that. You want to try and make sure that this thing feels like it all kind of kind of works and we're telling this broader soap operatic tale you know the the topic i'm interviewing tom on in a few days is all about major retcons we're going to take characters right. like sentry and jessica jones who were added in modern days but they're like hey they were here from the beginning by the yeah, way you know yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff uh, the illuminati like we have some major things to talk about yeah and that stuff can be really really fun as long as it's being done with a sensitive sort of touch where you're looking and saying okay what are we is the end result we get more cool stuff to play with and can we make this fit in a way that doesn't doesn't feel like we're we're torching the place you know what i mean like yeah. like we're burning stuff up for the sake of of fuel but we're actually saying no we're going to end up with more cool toys in the toy box by the end of it yeah yeah so let's uh let's talk our character for today now jim i i, I god i want to pick your brain about a thousand things oh no side note by the way and i i genuinely mean this i'm great at confidentiality and if you ever need help researching a character or putting <laughs> something together really truly you can you can text me cool. i would be I uh, i'd be happy to help i have a few writers that'll do that and i'm really good at not saying a word to anyone that's what it's i do cool it's nice to be able to <laughs> yeah it's nice to have those extra resources like i know doing the life of wolverine was like Man, I th I think because Marvel sent me my editor on that one, Mark Basso, who's amazing. I think they sent me through the the, the Marvel internet like three gigs of PDFs, and so my I was just loading them onto my tablet. And some of the stuff I had read, you know, growing up, of course, but rereading it with this eye for research was really intense. But the character we're talking about today, I did a bunch of reading for. It doesn't take too long. For her core appearances but then it spun out in all sorts of interesting ways of course so so uh so the the point of my patreon show as i say every episode we wanted to give supporting characters or more obscure villains uh just kind yeah. of some deep character love or character treatment uh the character we've chosen for today is sapphire sticks who jim has done more with than anyone <laughs> except for chris claremont you this created a, the character yeah the, the character has what 14 appearances i think yeah, total and, and a lot of them she's only like on a page or two yeah, uh, there's not yeah. a lot about this character uh this is an interesting character this is a time in the x-men when this character showed up it's 1988 uh claremont's been on the book for uh 12 or four, 14 years at this point mm -hmm. and they're just starting to kind of expand the x-men into franchise level stuff we've got excalibur and x-factor running now in the early 90s is when they really push and like expand the line into, you know, seven to 12 books. Uh, and Marvel has just launched a series called Marvel Comics Presents, which is meant to be kind of an anthology title, which Marvel has a long history of. In the early days with Strange Tales and Journey into Mystery, there was like- Yeah, the difference though, that the reason why Strange Tales and Journey into Mystery and Tales of Suspense and all, all those books exist- Tales to Astonish, yeah. Yeah, but they, they were because Marvel had a maximum number of titles, number of titles they were allowed to publish at that point in time. Right. And so they had to take what seems crazy, lesser popular characters like, let's say, Iron Man and Captain America or whatever, Nick Fury and Doctor Strange and jam them together so that they could, you know, keep their stories moving forward or keep the IP alive or whatever modern equivalent you want to have for it. Yeah, yeah. But, the trademark but, has to stay there. <laughs> yeah. And so these books became these catch-all kind of titles 
to experiment with, but also to keep the publishing line, you know, moving forward until they later on when they no longer had that limitation on the maximum number of well, titles. Even the first Marvel Comics book, Marvel Comics number one in 1939, yep. there's like eight pages of Captain America and then eight pages of the original Angel and then the original Kesar and then a bunch of characters you've forgotten about. The Human Torch right. is part of that, Submariner. Uh, so this new book they're launching in 88, Marvel Comics Presents, ran for mm. quite a long time. It was a weekly publication where yeah, they would have four eight-page stories, uh, all done by different creators. Some of those stories would be one-offs. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them would be two or three-parters. Some of them would run uh, like 25 parts, I think, was the, uh, the Black Panther story that ran back then. Uh, but they opened the book with a Chris Claremont Wolverine story, which is smart. It runs for, I, I don't know, nine or 10 issues. Yeah. Uh, and there's uh, there's some- And I bought those off the stands years. when they came out. Yeah, I was buying it weekly. You know, yeah. I, I, I told this story on my show once before. I uh, I got a job as a teenager working in a comic book shop in, and they would pay me in comic books. Nice. Uh, I just went in one day and I'm like, I'm poor and I need comics. Like, please help. <laughs> they did. <clears throat> Part of my job was to stack the back issue bins. And I was still learning about everything Marvel. And I would, uh, the Marvel Comics pre Presents had two sides. So there would be mm -hmm. two covers for every issue. And so I would end up like stocking the Marvel Comics Presents with like 12 copies of the same issue. Cause I'm like, oh, it's a different issue. It has a different cover. And uh, they'd be like, Chad, take the, <laughs> you only need four copies of this. It was uh... <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, so let's begin with uh, Marvel Comics Presents number one. It's 1988, mm -hmm. it's Chris Claremont, and it's John Bashema. And we have just been introduced to uh, Madripoor previously yes. in New Mutants number 32. Tell us about Madripoor. This is the only only the second time this country shows up, and it's become a huge part of the X-Men mainstay. Yeah, Madripoor has become, it's, you know, not to, to jump franchises, but it is like this hive of scum and villainy. It's essentially this this you know south pacific island of of intrigue and crime and corruption and and you know uh basically it's a way for that it's 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 marvel's equivalent to like thailand or something like that like a place that they can or singapore or whatever like they can basically have uh uh you know somewhere they can mess around in the same way that you've got whatever you know wakanda or other place like that these fictional areas that are you know you can you can draw parallels to other places but that it makes in the me, marvel it, it makes me think of like uh the real life city of kuala lumpur yes absolutely super absolutely. rich side and then this like yep, super poor yep. side. not that i have been to kuala lumpur although i would love to <laughs> sure but it's what it is is it's an it, you know it, it's kind of these tropes it's all these storytelling tropes of kind of southeast asia sort of stuff in this criminal element in this sort of of you know lawless troublemaking kind of place where they can introduce these different uh gangs and and warring factions and corrupt government and all this kind of stuff without actually you know saying changing actual places in the in the world and it's this little playground for claremont to kind of go buck and do these kinds of almost pulpy kind of crime tales and 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 stuff like that with wolverine and that's what the you know marvel comics presents the wolverine story becomes popular enough that it spins off into a new wolverine solo series mm -hmm. ongoing and and that uh, that takes place in madripoor and they've kind of excised wolverine from the regular storytelling so he can go on these kind of punchy pulpy crime tales in the Madripoor, jungles and in the and in the gang you know kind of scene yeah madripoor is a land of contradiction yes it is it is rich and poor it is exploitation 
you've got you've got the the really rich evil people who control everything, and then the people on the ground level who are suffering, but right. committing crimes in order to like make a buck and and try yeah, and it's high rise skyscrapers in in high town, and then it's like the fishing village on the coast mm -hmm. in low town and literally the geography of low town is beneath and on the you know uh, the the whereas the um higher areas of the city are overlooking it these big shadowy kind of high rise high tech sort of stuff over overreaching it's uh it's very simplistic and iconic it's fun and kind of you've got these neon gent drenched kind of streets of crime in you know and 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 high class sort of avaris in the city and then you've got these little villagers and villages and very simplistic kind of of coastal stuff going on and, and so it, it's it's yeah exactly like you said it's full of contradictions it's a really neat little playground to sort of push and pull these kind of elements out of the spotlight of the mainstream big city you know marvel universe and madripoor has a crazy history which we will not delve into but it has been ruled by mystique and Sabretooth. Yes. it has been ruled by madame hydra uh right. but there are some characters some some chris claremont beloved characters that are indelibly associated with this place patch wolverine is of course one tiger yeah. tiger the character uh jesson hone who runs the princess bar and archie corrigan and uh and bloodstream and roughhouse and like there's a lot of characters that are <laughs> i don't know about beloved it. they're pretty obscure but yes yes they're awesome like i know them really well because uh yeah that but that the the most of the characters there are not high powered they're not like omega level anything they're very much kind of the criminal element street level kind of troublemaking yeah yeah so in this in this marvel comics presents set of issues uh wolverine is in madripoor he uh, he walks in on a robbery and he sees a man with a gun to the head of a redheaded woman who has a very slinky pink dress on. Wolverine scares the guy off and the woman says her name is Sapphire. She kisses him on the cheek and she says, well, if you're feeling lonely while you're here, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> he's looking for Tiger Tiger uh, on behalf of a man named Dave Chapel. And when he mentions this name, everyone in the bar is like, Rrr! and they all pull out guns, which is very, <laughs> very yeah. wonderful. Uh, the owner of the princess bar is there. His name is O'Donnell. Uh, they make peace with Wolverine and Sapphire flirts with him again. And we we learn pretty soon that Dave Hunt is the co-owner of the princess bar along with Tiger Tiger. He had been kidnapped and tortured by a criminal overlord named Roche or Roche and left to die in the desert. And that's where he met Wolverine. And now Wolverine's trying to go and find Tiger Tiger to get the truth about what happened. We had previously met Tiger Tiger as a character named Jessen Hone in a Wolverine story uh, fighting the Reavers in Uncanny X-Men 229. Mm -hmm. Claremont loves to like bring his characters back and back and back. Oh yeah, any minor character can suddenly be brought to the forefront as he pulls on those weird funky threads of continuity. <laughs> so we have the introduction of Sapphire Sticks. Uh, very she she seems to be a victim initially and then she's like very flirty with Wolverine but that is not at all what this character no. is. Let's talk about her name first. The name Sapphire, yes. Sapphire Sticks. Uh, Sticks spelled with an S-T-Y-X. Uh, yes. why, why do we have this name? What does it mean? I mean, the river sticks, right? So you've got yeah. this classic kind of concept in mythology where the river itself is this river of souls. And um, in, in some of the mythological stories, just touching that river just it can wipe your memory or it can destroy your soul, can corrupt you and, and wreck you. And so Sapphire Sticks, although... In, in Claremont's issues, her backstory is non-existent. She's just right. like a femme fatale character 
who's there to, you know, kind of cause trouble and to be a threat that's not necessarily a physical one, although she can cause physical damage. She is going to, you know, she's an eater of souls. She's a psychic vampire. She can take people's minds and and uh, weaken them and destroy them and feed on them as fuel, essentially. So I, I will often have like little breakfast conversations with my kids on record days. They're like, what are you recording today? And I said, it's this character, <laughs> Sapphire Sticks. And I showed them a picture and I'm like, Sapphire is like a fancy jewel and it's red and Sticks is about this river. And my 11-year-old, who has chosen the name Yoshi on this show, Yoshi goes, Amazing. Dad, sapphires are blue. Don't be dumb. <laughs> I was like, oh, pardon me. <laughs> like well, all right, right then. Nice. <laughs> uh, um, sapphire Sticks is a soul vampire. I think yes. that's the easiest way to describe her. My children yeah. did not like her costume, which is very no. revealing. And there's lots of underboob. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, she. I mean, she's, she's like your classic kind of claremontian femme fatale like that is you know she she there's a lot of characters that uh over the canon of of the x-men that marvel you know that that claremont created that fill this kind of role and she plugs right into that kind of stuff and it's very much the psychic kind of attacks and the in inner kind of turmoil that she can generate in these characters for dramatic effect Two characters that come to mind that are also Claremont written that kind of have a similar MO are uh, Satana yeah. and Celine, of course. Celine yeah, being yeah. probably the most Absolutely. popular one. Absolutely. Uh, so we get this idea that this character is very old. She keeps herself young by drinking people's energy. It gives her more and more power when she does mm -hmm. so. And in these first few appearances, she keeps kissing Wolverine. Like, she's like, I want you. She senses his healing energy, <clears throat> maybe his long life. Uh, and like, she, he's going to make me super strong. So she's very strong. She keeps forcing kisses. At one point when she's kissing Logan, his thoughts are, I'm drowning my strength, my life, suddenly overwhelmed, <laughs> consumed. By a sea of shadow, last chance, desperate effort, everything I have, pathetically weak, does the trick, surprises, I'm both, I'm free. Uh, and he realizes <laughs> she's like, this woman is not okay here. <laughs> that is pure, pure Claremont inner monologue going on right there. Yes, yes, stuff. all the I, I, By the way, the I'm not, I'm not down on any of it. Like, Oh, it's great. When, when I was a kid and you're reading this stuff, it was like the desperation and the drama was real. It was super potent. It's great. Another big part of this Marvel Comics Presents story is the ridiculous character Razor Fist. And there have been yes. three of these <laughs> characters in Marvel and they're all related to each other. Yes, they're it's amazing. like three brothers who have chopped yeah. off their arms and replaced them with swords. How, how else can you be a great warrior if you don't have any fingers? Yeah, yeah, totally. And also, how do you wipe your own ass? <laughs> right? <laughs> when you it's have really sword arms, you better invest in a bidet. It's really more of a scraping than anything. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> so Wolverine's fighting Razor Fist and Sapphire Sticks keeps coming after him. Uh, he, uh, oh baby, I've never tasted anybody like you. Uh, but she's working with Roche and uh, there's a contract. She has to turn him over. Wolverine is put into chains. Uh, and then Sapphire Sticks has changed her costume and it is, uh, it is everything. Uh, she, high collar, pillow sleeves down to the wrists uh, and then the shirt just kind of cuts off at mid boob like sure it's like a very madeline Pryor look her whole abdomen is open but then she's got like a floor length skirt it's 
like split all the way up to the hips, like bare legs. This woman is uh, ready to be cast on Marvel's uh, uh, Real Housewives of Madripoor. <laughs> like she... <laughs> it's absolute quality from top to bottom. Like the, here's the thing, like if you're gonna make that femme fatale character, you just gotta go for it. Just go to the hilt, right? So yes, yeah. yes, you need a woman who you, yeah, they, they she like, catches you in because she's the pretty flower and then it closes in on you and sucks your life away <laughs> big time uh so sapphire sticks uh uh has him tortured roche is involved there's nightmares sapphires in his mind and then there's a point where wolverine uh feels sapphire sticks in his mind and he says sapphire or he thinks sapphire sticks must be a mutant like me she's a vampire with the power to suck the strength out of whoever she touches and since my power is a healing factor capable of countering any wound or poison or disease i'm like a bottomless tank of supercharged high energy juice fills her like nobody else is able to but it also enables me to break loose of her trouble is i'm so weak i can't stay standing and he does break loose and then there's a big fight and uh what how does the story end what happens <laughs> um i uh, like how do how do i adequately i mean the the big finish is, on this one is you know the the razor fist sort of fight you know plays out like it's weird because sapphire doesn't have a big role to play in the finish i mean you know it's all happening in his in his head it, it's it's a really weird one uh with wolverine on this one like he gets um the, the scene I remember is the, you know, when they're in the desert, like I love the, the Claremontian metaphors, right? Like they're in the desert and Wolverine thinks that he's got like a yoke on his back. It's very like Conan the Barbarian. He's kind of trucking through the desert and he sees Sapphire Stick slowly sort of destroying his spirit and pulling him down uh, bit by bit, which I, I really like as well. And then, of course, each new, you know, each of the villains he's fighting in this story sort of shows up and they all take a piece out of him. And then Tiger Tiger kind of saves him. And we have the classic kind of recovery, right? Like Wolverine is beat to crap and he he uh, doesn't know if he's going to be able to survive. And then he's able to, his healing factor kind of pulls him through as uh, as things all kind of play out. We also, get, um, we also get one more Sapphire costume with like a yellow dress with a V cut that's like all the way to her hip bone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, Justin, uh, Justin Hone or Tiger Tiger kicks her ass and uh, Sapphire Sticks runs away like, oh no, they're fighting back. And she and she and Razor Fist run off to presumably have a tort affair in the jungles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's uh, it's ridiculous. It's awesome. It's got this, yeah, the pulpy kind of things. Uh, oh, that's right. I totally forgot about Tiger Tiger. Uh, uh, yeah, basically taking a shot at... Uh, uh, at Sapphire Sticks too. That's right as well. Claremont, um, Claremont loves to write a uh, like a, a woman who is facing incredible odds, who like gets her ass kicked for a while, and then she like fights back. She like gets her strength and makes it. He does this with uh, with all of his X Men characters, but he also does it with characters like Katie Power or um, uh, 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 Lindsay McCabe or Misty Knight. Like he he loves to tell a story about a woman facing incredible odds and rising above and. He does that with Tiger Tiger a few times and she becomes a right. great character. And Tiger Tiger ends up defeating Sapphire Six in mm -hmm. like a one-on-one -on -one fight. Yeah, yeah. Like she gets her they have this like fight cat back. fight and Tiger Tiger like bites Sapphire on the neck. That's right too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or is yeah. Sapphire Sticks a mutant? Wolverine says she must be a mutant like me, but I don't feel like it was ever clearly uh elucidated regardless. Did no, they, they never they never nail it down. And if anything, 
I kind of play up on the idea that whether she is a mutant, she's extremely long lived and that she has been around for a very long time and, and is, is sucking the psychic energy from people and their soul energy to keep herself young, that she's actually like that psychic vampire, a little more like Celine in that sense. She's been around yeah. for a long, long time. Yeah. I picture her as like the, the, the spider with the, the, the colorful pattern on her tail in the middle of the web waiting to kind yeah. of grab whatever is attracted to her. And if her power came from, you know, mutant abilities or somewhere else isn't as important as as just sort of what she's capable of. And in the end, it's so fascinating because Tiger Tiger becomes this like kind of crime boss, you know, <laughs> elegant figure in Madripoor. It's so wild for this character who started off as what, like, I think she was worked at a bank or something in the original. Yeah, or yeah, 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 yeah. So she's weird. Not, she's a character so I like. I, I every once in a while people will be like, "You've really come a long way on your podcast." I'm like, "We haven't started Wolverine yet." <laughs> like, <there's, laughs> <there's so much. laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, yeah, so, that's right. So then she takes over. Uh, Tiger Tiger will take over Roche's kind of criminal empire mm -hmm. in uh, in Madripoor, and Sapphire Sticks just sort of runs away. Like she gets her butt kicked by Tiger Tiger, and barely appears after that essentially she pops her head up like once or twice after that and tiger tiger appears uh her her kind of narrative arc is like i'm the crime boss who's also trying to do good it's like yes. when daredevil took over for the kingpin uh like yeah. i'm gonna let crime happen because i realize it's necessary but when it goes too far then i'm gonna call wolverine for help is kind of her arc over and over now sapphire stick shows back up one more time in marvel comics presents number 131 and it's one yeah. eight page story 1993 by james felder and dennis jensen uh she's only back for eight pages but they do they in in, in this issue they claim her powers is that she's a soul vampire she has the right again they say the word mutant here she has the mutant ability to drain the life force from her fellow man her infamous kiss is death dot 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 literally which is <laughs> fantastic and she's like nearly topless in this issue like open jacket and she steals a box from tiger tiger but wolverine beats her up at the end like that's yeah that's kind of all that happens and then she's gone for 25 years until mr jim zub yeah <laughs> 25 years you know, you know, you you've got a character that's got a rich fandom that people are really excited to see return to the fore. Yeah, it was one of those. Uh, yeah, and then I used her as the absolute fulcrum of the story for Mystery and Madripoor, the story uh, that I was putting together. So, quick note: uh, Steve Orlando just released uh, Scarlet Witch number one, and yeah. in the first couple pages, she fights a character named Doctor Hydro who has not appeared since 1973. I was like, yes. shit. <laughs> I love deep cut stuff. Super fun. I love bringing characters back. And Mystery Magipore was an excuse to bring back her and also to bring back a, a gang of characters called the Femme Fatales. And, and the reason why I use them couldn't be simpler. It's literally like, uh, you know, so the Hunt for Wolverine kind of event was happening across all these different miniseries. Charles Soul, Charles Soul had written The Death of Wolverine and was writing The Return of Wolverine stuff, um, bringing him back from the dead. And he asked me if I would be interested in contributing. I said I would. He's a good friend of mine. We talked about a bunch of things. And he sort of laid out these broader ideas of where, you know, possible threads that that these miniseries could kind of pick up on. Um and so one me, of them let me put was, into context. was the idea of Madripoor. Yeah, so that me, something was going on in Madripoor. Let me put into context very quickly. Uh, God, does Marvel milk an event sometimes. There was the death of Wolverine 
and it was over like 40 issues it went yeah. on and on wolverine is dead then there's the hunt for wolverine and they launched like several limited series and then wolverine comes back but it probably when you add in like the weapon x title and the wolverines title like this went on for like 150 issues <laughs> yeah it's uh it's the, the the hunt for wolverine omnibuses is halfway decent size and they're all just like i think four different miniseries you know covering different little threads and wolverine barely shows up in any of them like in mine he shows up in flashback and he shows up as a psychic sort of ghost and, and there's some great stuff. I'm not being disparaging. Thank you. I'm just Thank saying it's, no, no. A, it's, a, it's a Marvel event. So our, our goal was that each of these miniseries had to have something, um, some thread to Wolverine and some sort of a, either a red herring or a, is this where he's going to really show up? Is this where, you know, he's going to return kind of element. And that we could use a lot of old continuity of the characters and the the ideal was that each one would have some sort of a surprise some sort of an unexpected twist or some element that made it worthy of of being told as a story and, and boy we, and boy did you it's uh... well and that was the thing we were throwing around all these crazy ideas and and you know the bigger the swing the, the harder it can be but I really wanted to justify why we we're doing this story. I knew we were doing Madripoor in my story and I was allowed to use X-Men. And so what I ended up deciding was I wanted to do, like I wanted to do, this was supposed to be my, for lack of a better term, like celebration and homage of Claremont style X-Men. And so I wanted to do, they, there's multiple times that uh, Claremont has done these kind of girls night out or like girls caper or like yeah, all yeah. The girls get together sort of stuff. And I said, well, what, instead of it being like a goof or like a shopping trip or something, what if we made it like a real cool story and all these women are romantically linked or deeply indebted to Wolverine. And so they're going to go on this mission together and, and they feel like they have this bond and they know him best or whatever. So you've got this, uh, this makes me think of the Jason Aaron uh, story in his Wolverine run where all Wolverine's ex-girlfriends got together yes. and went after him. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. So so you've got Domino, you've got Psylocke, you've got Kitty Pride, uh, you've got Rogue and Storm, and uh -huh. all of them are so I've got just a I mean, it's a murderer's row of amazing characters that I love that I'm super excited to write. And they're all going to Madripoor, this den of you know, evil and corruption and all this stuff, and they're looking to pick up these threads. Um, and and so I involve Magneto in the story, and then I wanted to have you know the criminal kind of element, and so and sapphire sticks. There, there's yeah. a there's an underground presence in all of these limited series where there's this mysterious company called Sotira. That's right. That's and that was like, a new thing that Charles had made. Yeah, yeah. And, that's like there's hints that Wolverine might be alive, and everybody's running off in these series to find them. But yeah, so your, yours is like an all-girl power hero, yes. all-girl power villain. Uh, yeah, well, and that was the thing. I wanted to have a, a group of villains that could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the strongest X-Men. And it would be great if they were women as well. And so I'm looking through the Marvel canon for like, you know, women villains to try and assemble together and trying to find out the logic of how, plus they have to be very power set and work well together. And I'm joking because I'm like, man, I really need a group of femme fatales. And then there's literally <laughs> a villain team called the femme fatales that Eric Larson had made. And these are the these are mutant characters, right? From like they're a, mutants. They're a and I'm like, well, it's, uh, it's meant it's, it's meant to be. They're literally called. I need femme fatales, and they're literally femme fatales. It's and mind Sapphire's, blast, yeah. knockout. 
um, uh, whip, the, Whiplash or something. It's Whiplash, yeah. but you changed her name to Snake Whip. Right, because there's another character called Whiplash. Or like three, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I was like, I don't want to use the same name. So yeah, I gave her a new name. And so, uh, and then I was like, well, putting Sapphire Sticks on that team seems like a good fit. And then tying them to Charles' mysterious thing called Sotira. And then you had Madame Hydra around. Right, and then, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, then, I, then I've got Viper and, yeah. So it all sort of fits together in this fun kind of way where I have all these badass women, you know, villains who are in Madripoor and I can sort of link them all together and pull both the Femme Fatales and Sapphire Sticks out of the mothballs of the Marvel Universe and sort of go, look, look, let's reinvent them. Let's make them fun. You didn't and just they, use Sapphire Sticks. You used her prominently. How did you choose her? And, I, and I killed her. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> the thing. I brought her back the, uh, and then I sacrificed her. Was it the Madripoor connection that kind of tied you to her? Uh, what, what yeah, I wanted, it to, I wanted it to feel like a um as strong a madripoor kind of story as i could and since she was one of the original villains that claremont came up with and i thought you know i remembered her in the original marvel comics present stories and i thought well she must have been doing other things i did research like oh they've done nothing with her absolutely nothing with her she's, <laughs> she hasn't done anything i was like she's kind of an open book i can use her and so i was just going to have her as the villain and you know gathering up psychic power i also realized that it gave me a really cool way to link wolverine to the story because she eats souls and she keeps that energy within her i was like oh i could literally have a ghost of wolverine running around inside her head so now and and a character who sees the ghosts of other characters is a claremont trope that he's done multiple times yeah. to amazing effect so i was like that feels very claremontian now so now i've got this psychic vampire woman who is a claremont character who can have visions of wolverine and thinks he's really running around and that is an amazing you know old school kind of callback and then i thought to myself okay we need you know we need this big crazy payoff and i threw a bunch of ideas into the pot i don't want to say what all of them are because i would love to do some of them later because they're all all of them are big changes to characters um and the one that i put into the the pot that my editor was like, there is no friggin' way they're gonna go for it, was let's split up, um, you know, Betsy and Quanon into two separate characters again, right? Because, you know, the Asian uh, version of Psylocke and the British version, you know, the original Betsy Braddock and and all the weirdness around that. And I said, well, let's, let's split them again. Let's, you know, make them separate characters because then we've got two toys in the toy box. So um, we've given this a little bit of real estate on the show, even though we haven't got to that continuity in our in our. Sure. Let me let me do the thirty second recap really quickly. Captain Britain's little sister is Betsy Braddock, Psylocke. She joins the X Men. Mojo does a bunch of shit to mess with her, and then the Siege Perilous happens, and she falls through. I'm I'm, I'm not making which I also <laughs> love by the way the Siege Perilous, and I used a version of the Siege Perilous in Champions yeah, when I yeah. took the characters to Weird World. So I and I have had I had an idea, but I want to do it again. Where there are multiple versions of the Siege Perilous, and they each do different things. And the one that I oh god, now I can't remember the name of it. Oh, that's going to irritate me. The one that I created for the champions takes you to Weird World and makes you a fantasy version of whoever you were. Love it. And and it's called the uh, it's called the Siege something. It's like the Siege. Now I'm going to have to look it up. Um, and I, well, I made it and that's the sad part is I can't remember it but I would love to have a bunch a of these stuff. 
why you're writing that much of these portals yeah so so betsy's mind she's a british purple-haired telepath her mind gets put into the body of a ninja telepath named Psylocke. Yes. Uh, she then is in this body for decades and there's we talked about this in our show with you actually there's some yeah. appropriation about like the idea of a british woman in an asian woman's body uh, well, but originally it wasn't that she was a separate person. That was a revelation that came later. Right. Like it was just, she had been turned Asian in the original Claremont story. And then it came out in the- Misties have made them two different characters. Yes. That character comes back as revenge and dies of yes. the legacy virus. And then anyway, we'll, we're fast forwarding pretty far, but both of these characters, Captain Britain, Betsy and Psylocke are being prominently used on Krakoa as two yes. different people. And Jim is the one that made that happen in Mystery and Madripoor. Yeah, we, we did the things. split. Yeah, we did the, <laughs> the big split, which uh, which I'm very proud of. And it turned out well, yeah. Tell us, uh, tell us about your use of Sapphire Sticks. What was your understanding of this character, of her power set? How did you use her in, uh, in your storyline? Um, so she was the this fulcrum for, first of all, I wanted to have characters, again, that I said could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with a bunch of the most powerful uh, X-Men um, that were on this lineup that I put together. And the fact that she had a connection to Wolverine and she could absorb kind of soul power felt very much like Rogue being able to absorb your mind and stuff like that. And it, there were some good little parallels in terms of the way that she worked. I, that idea of her being a soul vampire and here being able to draw power and immortality from it, I thought was really cool. Um, you know, a character that you could, you could take what she'd done before and then kind of extend out her drama that she's becoming more hungry more insane more intense she's even she's dangerous to her own kind of team members like the other members of the gang are getting afraid of her because she's become so insatiable she keeps killing more and more and and kind of cranking up those elements of her abilities that she is insatiable and she can't be you know whatever sanity she had is starting to sort of slip away because she can't be fed enough. You know, she's been around too long. There, And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, there there seemed to be an element of, there was an essence of Wolverine that kind of continued to live within. Yes. Her. So when she absorbs people, what I posited was that even though she has used them up, there's a tiny part of themselves that sticks around in her mind. But your average person, if she just bled them dry psychically, you know, took their soul, it would be just like an echo, barely a voice. But because Wolverine is practically immortal himself, his soul power is also more powerful than your average person. So he actually still exists as an actual personality. There's a, a little shred of him that was sitting inside of her that would never go away, that would never completely fade. And Betsy ends up finding that when she gets pulled under and absorbed inside of Sapphire. Yeah. So Betsy's body kind of is uninhabited as her is soul dead. melds yeah. with sapphires. And then what happens? It's a I mean, and again, all these kinds of tropes and these elements, the psychic battle, the inner kind of turmoil, the symbolic sort of stuff, that's all very Claremont. That's how he likes to deal with character emotions that it's very visual and it's very internal kind of battles and these aren't just like dramatic words but they're they're literal physical fights characters are climbing out of canyons or walking you know eternal deserts or being battled 
by their own fears and hates and all these kinds of things. And so I wanted to play up those ideas that that's what I think a cool Claremont style X-Men story is. And so I have those inner fights kind of going on. Betsy gets pulled into Sapphire Sticks. She sees all these mirrors of herself in this swamp. And she knows that if she doesn't do something, she's going to be absorbed and destroyed. She also, because she's linked to Sapphire, she gets a glimpse of Sapphire's sort of past as this psychic vampire that she has killed hundreds, potentially thousands of people over the years to extend her own life force. She is an evil monstrosity. And if she's not stopped, this, you know, hunger is never going to end as she's going to continue to feed and, and destroy lives. And so we get this kind of karmic victory where Betsy regains her strength destroys sapphire sticks utterly down to a molecular level and then uses her psychic powers to essentially rebuild herself from the ground up as betsy braddock her original british self sort of you know re-establishing herself and giving her a bit of a psychic reset point to go from so sapphire sticks is a bit of a tool for this story but, but there's also this kind of well she's also you know, just a bit of a tool well, she's a bit of a tool, but she's per she, there's this justice kind of element where she's a creature that needs to be destroyed so that her, you know, this this serial killer style approach that she's had to life can come to an end, you know? She yeah. has gone insane with power. Yeah. The, the, uh, the electrical, if you picture like an electrical uh, 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 field overloading with too much, it starts to zap off psychic yeah. energy and then she yeah. explodes basically. You gave her the ending she needed. Like she's well, a, and that was a thing. terrible character exactly. in, in the best way. And on top of that, when I looked at it in the grand scheme of things, you know, killing a character is not something you want to do lightly. But I looked and I said, look, the character literally hasn't been used in 25 years. She feels like a little bit of an overlap of characters like Celine, who exist and are still kicking around. And she's the fulcrum for us to be able to do this really cool dramatic thing with Betsy and Quanon. And so to me, it was like, there's, it's all upside, you know what I mean? We get to do this cool dramatic story in Madripoor as a payoff to the hunt for Wolverine kind of stuff that we had been playing with. And we get to make this character's death kind of be the most important thing that she's ever done in terms of Marvel continuity. In, well, in, in a lasting way. Yeah. Also, death means nothing in comics. <laughs> sure, but it's not like there's a clamoring fan base that was asking for her to be around or to come back or anything else. Yeah, so she's just a lever that we can pull in order to enable these other things and it feels very Claremontian and dramatic, then, then that's the right move, yeah. When I read this series in 2018, I had to do what I did with Dr. Hydro. Like, wait, who the fuck is this guy? Right. I had to be like, wait, Sapphire yeah. Sticks, I know this name, but it had been so long since I had read those early marvel comics presents this is a character who hadn't even appeared in an x-men book no. but she's a she's a wolverine villain yeah. and the way you use her is perfect in Thank the grander you. scheme yeah and i'm really proud of it and it, to me like i said that entire miniseries is a caper and it's got all these i could literally go through page by page and tell you about the dramatic decisions i'm making that are like very like they're my writing but i'm trying to do the best pastiche I can of Claremont because that's what I love about X-Men. And so, you know, each issue starts with um, internal monologue and flashbacks from one of our key characters. And they're giving you a flashback to a key Wolverine moment that is important to them. And, and why Wolverine what, matters, yeah. Why Wolverine matters to them and the different kinds of identities he's had and the type of teacher and mentor. And sometimes he teaches through 
his direct actions and his words. And sometimes he literally shows you what not to do because of the mistakes he's made and stuff like that. And sometimes he's trying to be better than his past. And other times he's just relishing in the savagery of things. Like when we show the, the, you know, some of the flashback stuff with Domino. And so it's like, I wanted to show Wolverine as a multifaceted character through the eyes of these people who love him. I wanted to show Madripoor, this place where he's kind of been un in the past, he's been unfettered and able to run wild and the effect that he's had on that place. And then I wanted to be able to have each of these characters, you know, understand something or um, even if it was something they already knew, just to clarify a thought or a feeling that they had about Logan, right? So it's why he's important, why he matters, the effect he's had on these people, and then the ongoing kind of subplots of Sotira and our ability to pull this cool lever on Betsy Braddock. And all those things happening in four issues, it's a, it's kind of breakneck pace like 20 pages barely feels like it's enough sometimes when i was writing it because we're having multiple fight scenes in every issue multiple dramatic kind of revelations and payoffs um lots and lots of of dramatic turmoil i was just trying to do my best damn x-men that i could that was honestly all i was trying to do and if and if people enjoyed it and felt like you know, you always want people to feel like the the stuff that they grew up on, but not the exact same thing. Because if they know exactly what's going to happen, or it feels like they've done it all before, then why are they reading it? You know. So I'm trying to take all the ingredients of a great Claremont X Men dish and give it a bit of a re you know a, a representation and go. This is why I think X Men stories are fun and cool, and and push the buttons on each of these characters. You know, there's a really cool dramatic moment with Rogue where she kind of clarifies how intensely you know carol danvers was hurt when she took away her powers and then we yeah, went on to the, yeah. the x-men there's intense moments with storm there's intense moments with psylocke obviously intense moments with jubilee and kitty pride the characters feel like they are getting their the first issue they absolutely get their butts kicked and they feel like they're on their back feet through most of the series and so they're on the defensive so they have to not just directly confront the problem they have to kind of deal with it the way Logan would. So it means they go into disguise and they have to hit the mean streets. And like, it's it's all of those ingredients that I loved about the original Madripoor stories. It's it's playing up and kind of celebrating the idea of Patch, you know, the identity that Logan has when he was hiding out in Madripoor and trying to reestablish himself and get back to his pulpy kind of roots. It's all sorts of different stuff for me. And Sapphire was just one of the ingredients that I was able to push around. But because of the nature of her powers, I could amp it up. Like all the characters are amped up if you look at that. That basically there's a, um, we talked about at one point that Sotira has imbued Mind Blast with greater psychic power than before. So she yeah, could go yeah. toe to toe with someone like Psylocke or she could you know, manipulate Magneto and stuff like that. That Sapphire's powers have been jacked up because she's gone a little crazy and she's been eating too many souls. And so Tira is using her, like everyone is, is gotten kind of a power boost so that they could go toe to toe with, you know, the, the equivalent X-Men and we can make this a really cool fight and our heroes can't just call in the cavalry. They can't just go, okay, well, let's get 30 other X-Men to save the day. No, <laughs> they're stuck on Madripoor. They can't communicate. They can't leave. They're they're in, you know, uh, up to their necks in it. And let's see how it all plays out. 
And that was what was so fun about it was being able to take what I felt makes great X-Men stories and trying to inject all of it into this cool, crazy thing and, uh, and have it work. Well, and Tony Silas's art on this book is beautiful as well. He does a really good job with it. It's a tough, it's a lot to ask. Like there's There's a a lot of fashion and like, there's a lot of costume changes. There's a lot of, yeah, multiple locations. We're cutting between past and present. I was sending him just dump trucks worth of old panels uh, for continuity, like what the costumes the characters are wearing in each of those flashbacks because they're from specific stories there's a moment where uh, storm is talking to wolverine and it takes place right after giant size x-men number one or right after the first claremont issue of uncanny i forget the number it's like 96 or something um and and i literally like page and panel they need to be wearing these clothes because this is this moment takes place between these two pages kind of thing i I, love a man that does his homework (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I pegged every single moment, you know, where these are taking place and how they take place. And inadvertently, I think that's also why many years later, Mark Basso said, oh, Jim should do Life of Wolverine because I had done the homework and I knew that this stuff, you know, how how to make that stuff work. And, and the, that there's always room for new cool stories and new ways to look at old material without invalidating that material. You know what I mean? That that's the joy of playing in the big sandbox of of the marvel universe the uh the comic writer uh the aspiring comic writer in me god i would love to co-write a series with you i think you're amazing anytime anytime the name jim zub is on a book i know it's gonna be i really appreciate it and and this is the thing like uh oh by the way i i double checked the 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 siege that i use parallel it's the siege (laughs) parallel that's right i looked it up too i was waiting (laughs) yeah in my in my head uh there are more sieges and that we could do some really cool stuff siege parallel is the one that will basically create an alternate version of yourself that keeps some of those heroic qualities but in this case would project you to weird world or somewhere else we've already posited that we need to do a siege perilous episode of this patreon one day i'll I'll get there (laughs) make sure you mention the siege parallel Uh, i I would love to just generate an entire list of sieges that all for some reason start with the letter p are you uh are you reading uh uh, i don't know if you're reading the modern continuity in teeny howard's recent knights of x book uh she had the character mr m who is a obscure Omega level mutant from like the 198 era. Right. He is now living in other world and he has turned the siege perilous into an entire realm that he occupies. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I that's a, yeah, it's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff. And I love sort of those broader elements that these little bits and pieces come into play. Cause when I was a kid, like I remember reading Marvel two and one and there was this story with the cosmic cube and I had never seen the cosmic cube before. I was, it's like, what is that? And it was like, oh, this is from this old Captain America story. And then it shows up here. And then it shows up later in other stories. And I was like, whoa, this artifact, this cool thing is part of the Marvel Universe. It's one of these things that it, it's one of these things that shows up time and time again. And when people create that stuff, if you look at a lot of the stories that I, uh, you know, that I write in the Marvel Universe, whether it's something like uh in no road home you know we wanted to sort of recreate and and reestablish the the greek pantheon of gods in the marvel universe and do a different twist on them and then we have nyx the goddess of night and we yes. sort of jack you know her up to a whole new level and all this She's kind of so stuff scary <laughs> yeah right and it's like let's make cool toys the house of ideas or all these other things that we can put into the marvel universe as the 
these artifacts and these objects and these places that hopefully other people will appreciate and want to play with. You know what I mean? That 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 the Marvel universe should be additive in nature. And so you, uh, you did such a beautiful yeah. job with this, and we won't have time to talk about it. But your recent Thunderbolts run with Sean Isaacs. Thanks. Sean's been on my show. Uh, you got to bring in the super apes and like all these yep. different crazy play. Like it's it's a whole toy box full of toys, and you love to play the toys, and it's beautifully done, my friend. I do. And the more you can do to like a character who doesn't show up very often, you know, like one of these villains or like a hero who generally isn't, they're not going to get a solo book. So the only time they show up is in a team book or, or sometimes just a guest appearance. Every appearance has to matter because we may not see them for years at a time. So if I bring them into it, I want it to be like, well, what have they been doing since the last time we saw them? Or what, even if they're only going to have a few lines of dialogue, do we get a sense that they are life is continuing and going on rather than being trapped in amber I, uh, I feel like that's important i'm thinking uh, thunderbolts wise when kurt Busiek and mark bagley are on the book uh thunderbolts number 25 they have a new 25 member masters yep. of evil, and they pull these characters like lodestone and bison yep. and all over yep. the place and there's like there was literally a contest like tell us where these characters first appeared I love when people use the tools in the sandbox and you get to create this mythos. That's what this Patreon channel is. It's for. a joy, man. And you know, like things like working on No Surrender where we made a new Lethal Legion and half the characters were new characters and other characters were just like obscure ones that we wanted to pull out of the mothballs and go, look at this, this is weird, this is fun, you know. I want more of that, that like team approach you guys did for the long form Avengers stories, I miss Thanks. it. Jason, Jason Aaron's Avengers has been so fun, but I miss right. that like deep continuity, like living lightning is like yeah. poker with the games master. God, it was good stuff. <laughs> so our favorite one of those new characters that we made. So I, I tell you, it's a stupid anecdote. It doesn't have anything to do with Sapphire Sticks, but I have to say it because it's super fun. We're sitting around the boardroom table and we're planning out the story that will be Avengers No Surrender. We don't have a name for it at the time. We're just coming up with stuff. And we're trying to put together this team of villains that can go toe to toe with our Avengers. And so we need, you know, you know, have tough characters and and energy projectors and all this stuff. And I said at the table, I was like, can we have characters that aren't just humanoid, that they're not just like two legs and two arms, but we also don't just want like four armed characters. Like, can we make them look really alien, like really strange? And, and I see, you know, just like different anatomy and different stuff going on. They're insectoid or they got tentacles or something. And, um, you know, everyone laughs. They're like, yeah, yeah, Jim. Okay, we'll try and get some tentacles in there. I was like, you know, just something different. Like we just, I just don't want characters who all look like humanoid, but they got pointed ears or something. Like, can we do something different, you know, anatomically with them? And then we were talking about a psychic character because we wanted to have a mentalist or whatever. And I said, you know, like a mentalist, but like, the, but yeah, I don't know, whatever, they're, they're all tentacles. And then Al Ewing goes, so they're a mental tentacle? I was like, yes. So they're a menticle. I was like, yes, a menticle. And so we all started laughing and we had this character on the whiteboard that was literally mental tentacle and that was called menticle. And that was supposed to be a, a place filler. And then we just couldn't come up with a better name. And then Tom Brevard goes, that is a very Stan Lee name. Like that is a very silver age, just mental tentacle, menticle. So the character's called menticle. And uh, Al and I love Menticle and uh, he's used Menticle in Guardians of the Galaxy now uh -huh, multiple times. Yeah. And uh, so I think each of us is now looking for chances to bring Menticle back. Even if no one cares, we like Menticle. If I ever interview questions. Al Ewing on my show, I promise I will bring up Menticle. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did it. He did, yeah, he's done some really fun stuff. Something I didn't know, by the way, you're going to love this super deep cut. 
uh, Tom Brevoort sent me an Excel spreadsheet that one of their poor interns or assistant editors put together that was literally characters who have appeared in only one issue or sometimes one panel that are named that technically are part of the Marvel universe. And I was scrolling through it and there's thousands of them. They're like uh, aliens yeah. with a single name. Sometimes a lot of repeated names because they're just weird combinations of consonants and vowels. And I scroll right to the bottom because you're always curious, what is the last one? And the last one was Zub. And I was like, what is a Zub? <laughs> and it was an alien that Al Ewing put in an issue of Guardians of the Galaxy. There's two aliens talking to each other uh, before they get attacked. And one is called Wade and one is called Zub because we were co-writing No Surrender with him. So he made us aliens in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. So. When I was writing for the Marvel handbooks, I'll share this as a quick aside. One of the tougher entries that I had to do was uh, I did like, I think it was four pages, like encyclopedia style on the Shi'ar race. Right. There's, there's a section where you have to list every known member of the Shi'ar. <laughs> you have to Forget go through, it. and if there's some pilot named in one, oh pick, no, has to go on the oh, roster. No. Yeah, it, it yeah. was an intense amount of research. Uh, Mr. Zub, you uh, recently finished Life of Wolverine. You are yes. working on Murder World. You just finished Thunderbolts. What yeah. can we look forward to uh, if you're allowed to announce it right. uh, from you at Marvel in the next few months? So believe it or not, uh, so I, I, not, I've got a couple uh, Avengers Unlimited um, chapters coming. Yes. So on the digital. Yeah, I did uh, a one-off with Jarvis that came out a few months ago. That God, really, it was really fun. Really I even messaged you about you. that. I'm like, I just it was read a it. real joy. It. That was an absolute joy to put together. It's the kind of story that you used to see as a backup in the annuals. Yes. And it would become kind of like real heartfelt and special. And that was what I was going for with it. And that was based on a suggestion from Tom, where he's like, would you be interested in doing a solo story with Jarvis? And I said, yeah. And this is what I came up with was Minding the Mansion, which is this fun one-off. And then I did a two-part story with Quicksilver um, that was a lot of fun. Which and just now, came out, yeah. Yes, yes. And now I've got another one coming out in a few months. I don't know, I think March it might be coming out. And that is a longer one. It's a six-part story that's a mystery and it involves your core kind of Avengers. So it's got Cap and Thor, it's got uh, Captain Marvel, uh, Black Panther, Iron Man. It's the pretty classic She-Hulk. It's a pretty classic lineup. Um, and it's a mystery story that pulls on some deep, deep continuity thread. Hey! <laughs> that uh, the first two chapters, no one will know what we're doing. And then all of a sudden it'll all kind of unfold and that was a lot of fun um but the, i finished writing that quite a while ago murder world obviously is still going thunderbolts just wrapped up and that's it right now for me at marvel i don't have anything else to announce right now so uh, except um, for the the 12 part sapphire sticks maxi right clearly <laughs> gotta bring her back in a big way i would love to do i mean i know that ray and i would love to do more with murder world uh and once you read the ending you know i think people will see that we've we've um it is a satisfying finish to the story, but we leave a couple cool threads in place uh, that I think people will be surprised about. Um, I, uh, and I'm I always up for more cool stuff. I can't wait movies. to do an arcade trial on my pod one day. I'm getting ready to record uh, a Patreon episode about Justin Seyfert and the Sentinel nice. with, with uh, Sean McKeever soon. And I just reread Avengers Arena, 
with yes. which where arcade's like wholesale murdering teenagers god yes. he's, he's yes. a great villain but god he's terrible <laughs> he is you know one of the things we realize though because he's constantly like arena's one of the exceptions but most of the time he's ineffective because you can't kill the title character otherwise what kind of a book is this right so one of our goals with murder world was to how do we make him really nasty like he can kill wholesale and do some crazy stuff and this idea of kind of combining and i don't know if you know that murder world pitch is is the oldest pitch i i've ever had so oh. ray yeah i okay ray and i pitched murder world i know we're totally off topic now we're great um, this, this is part of the show is just talking yeah. i love it ray and i pitched murder world to joe cusada in 2004 oh wow <laughs> so when people say oh you guys are just ripping off squid game we're like yes but really we're not in the sense that we are ripping off squid games popularity now to be able to do the book but it's we actually had that idea and no joke 90 percent of it is identical to that original pitch well and avengers arena is ripping off quote unquote battle hunger royale games. and yeah, yeah. well it's battle royale is what hunger games sure. is also ripping off oh, sure, so sure. what happened was um you know, at the time I was working at Udon, Udon was doing Sentinel, which you mentioned, and Agent X, and they were doing these fun kind of off the wall, you know, stories at Marvel, different things and different characters and obscure stuff. And I really wanted to be a writer at Marvel. And so Ray and I, both uh, indie comic creators at the time, we had a line through through uh, my connection to Udon to pitch something. And I knew we wouldn't be able to pitch whatever, you know, like a main A-list character. So I said, let's do something totally left field. And we came up with this crazy idea to, to do Murder World like the Running Man, like Battle Royale with normal people so that Murder World, so that Arcade could actually kill lots of people. And you wouldn't worry about, well, is he gonna kill these heroes? Of course not, because they're the title character. We're like, no. It doesn't matter because the robots are the ones doing the killing. So we can have all of our heroes doing the killing through these, you know, robots and our heroes in the story, our protagonists are these regular people who are getting hunted and destroyed. And are they going to make it? It looks like none of them will survive. We pitched it. Joe Kusada came back with nice comments, basically saying, this is kind of cool. Who are you people? Like what, what credits do you have? Why would we trust you to do this story? And we didn't have any credits. We had no no ability to to leverage this stuff or whatever, but um, I threw the the document, you know, in in the archives, and I was hoping to repitch it once I actually started doing work for Marvel, like ten years later. Like I started regularly writing for Marvel 2013, 2014. But Bill Roseman had just been the editor on Avengers Arena, so sure. it was like, well, that's not going to happen. They just did the arcade thing, so <laughs> it just cool. sat in the archives. And then last year, around this time last year. I was working away on the new Thunderbolts and my pitch for Thunderbolts. I don't normally do this. Like, I know it's a big cliche where someone says, it's like this thing meets that thing. You know, it's like Pokemon meets The Walking Dead or whatever, like those terrible pitch kind of Hollywood style things. But in this case, the comparison was apt. I said, my version of Thunderbolts, the new version I wanted to do was a bit like Avengers meets Ted Lasso. I wanted Hawkeye to be the wrong guy trying to manage this team and his heart on his sleeve and it was going to be really emotional and really funny and that was what the new thunderbolts was pitched as was essentially my version of ted lasso because sure. i love that show and i thought it was really good and the sports metaphor of you're the guy in charge but you're not actually good at this job but you're the one who's in charge so you got to do it anyways and that's where a lot of the you know monica gets offered the team she says no 
Clint is going to run the team, but he's not the right guy for the job, but he's the public facing one who's going to try and do it. Like if you look through my Thunderbolts run, the press scrum is very much like the press scrum stuff from Ted Lasso. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the emotional beats, it's not identical, but it's got a lot of that heart on its sleeve kind of stuff. And CB really liked it. CB Sobolski, the editor-in-chief of Marvel, really liked the pitch and he really likes the book. And he said, man, this is one of the best pitches you've put together. You know, if you've got another one of these kind of uh, cool story things in your pocket or something else that feels like it's very now, very relevant, you know, let me know. And he just offhandedly mentioned, he goes, you know, if you got a squid game in your back pocket or something. And I said, CB, I've got a squid game in my back pocket. And he's like, <laughs> what? I said, I have a murder world story. Murder world is Marvel's squid game. And he goes, sure, but what's the twist? How do we actually make it work? And I said, I have the pitch. I've had the pitch literally 20 years, 18 years. <laughs> I've got an 18 year old pitch. And so I pulled the old pitch out, blew the digital dust off it, read it, went, geez, like 90% of this is still good. Touched it up, sent it in. CB really liked it. Um, it got passed over to Jordan White because uh, Arcade's ostensibly part of the X-Men kind of family of books. Uh, Jordan loves Hunger Games and Saw and, and Squid Game and all that stuff. So he saw the potential immediately, but he's like, look, I've got so many books with the Krakoan books. There's no way I can do it. Um, but Sarah Brunstad, who's in that office as well, who I know. Sarah, was, loved Sarah was just on my show. I love her. Yeah, she Sarah's great. And so Sarah saw the potential in it and said, yeah, this is great. I'll champion it up the line and I'll edit it. And so we've been working with Sarah and I got to call Ray up and go, hey, guess what? This pitch that's old enough to vote uh, <laughs> we, we get to do again. We're back on the board doing this crazy thing. So that is like my ultimate example of a pitch that it's one of the reasons why you don't just shoot your mouth off about old story ideas. Because if I had publicly said, oh, I've got this murder world idea. Here's all the things that I would have done. And here's the big payoff. Well, then I never would have had the chance to actually write it. You know? I have a, I've produced myself like four big projects. And one of the standard things they instruct you to do in your pitches is to say, you know, what's relevant for, I, so I wrote a comic book called The Mushroom Murders and I had to sit down with my editor and we ended up, we ended up selling it initially, although it's not super apt as it's kind of like Army of Darkness meets Law and Order, which is the right. And you never I, wanna, I, put like, out a, I actually, yeah, I generally hate that style of pitching where you're just taking current thing and popular thing and smashing it together if you can't justify it if you can't explain why we're doing the confluence of those two things you well know, i did i did a hate crime i did a hate crime documentary a few years ago and we pitched it as right. it's like making a murderer meets valentine road which is it, right. it worked, but yeah it's a, it's an interesting way to do it yeah you, and so you want to show why it's it relevant works. yeah in this case it's very much like yes it is marvel's squid game but there's some unique qualities to Murder World and Arcade that I felt like we could really- Well, and I won't, I won't spoil this, but the last page of your first issue of Murder <laughs> World is kick me in the balls. <laughs> Thanks, man. We did so much crazy stuff with that book. Uh, and Sarah has been a real champion. There's stuff in the book that I honestly didn't think we'd be able to get away with. There's stuff in every issue where I'm like, well, they're gonna, and, and Sarah doesn't say like, she doesn't want us to second guess. She said, write the story you guys want to write, take it as far as you can go. And then if I need to, I'll pull you back, but don't, don't presume that you can't do things, go for what you think you can go for the gusto. And then we'll find the line. One of every the issue. It's like, 
the violence and some of the stuff we infer in some of those pages is just like bonkers. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not involved in the handbook team anymore, but one of the things I do for my own records and I make them available to the handbook team is whenever a series completes, I will go through and reread it and do a page by page, like entry into the database. So right. it helps, it helps the the handbook team keep it uh, like, here's where characters first appeared and here's where they yeah. showed up and here's the chronology. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing that with Murder World when it's done because I get the front to back read. It's yeah, great. the Marvel. Um, In fact, I just did. I just did that with Thunderbolts a few days ago. Oh, sweet! I, I got to read the it Marvel Wiki is super valuable. Like when I go through the online Wiki stuff and it has that list of appearances in publishing order it helps then it gives me a lot to be able to dig back because i can request specific pdfs from from my editor and then be able to reread stuff or read stuff i've never read before you know and and it helps me to get a better handle on who these characters are and make my own decisions about how they speak and what they do and how you know where they are now essentially yeah, yeah. What a fun way to start my week. I just got to hang out with Jim Zob this morning. Yeah, I, think you are, I think you are phenomenal, my friend. I'm so Thank you. So I really appreciate it. Like getting to play in the big Marvel universe is such a joy. And, you know, once I realized that it's our job to, to be additive and to create new material and to be able to work with amazing editors like Tom or like Sarah or like Mark, who have been supportive and excited about us building new cool things or, or building on the foundation of what's come before, then it becomes an amazing creative challenge in all the right ways where you want to, to celebrate what has come before, but not just do the same old, same old and keep pushing forward and making cool dramatic choices that give our readers entertainment. That's why we do this stuff. As we, uh, as we are wrapping up, my friend, where can people find you online if they would like to? Nice and easy, just jimzub.com. So J-I-M-Z-U-B.com. That's got all my upcoming stories and interviews. Uh, anytime I do a podcast or interview like this, it'll be linked up there. Um, it's got a buy page with links to all my trade paperbacks, uh, both my creator-owned stuff and my commercial stuff. There's also a pretty deep section of tutorials. So I had go through pretty extensively how to write comics, what it's like to work with artists and editors, uh, things I wish I knew when I was starting off in the industry. Uh, I even go through some of the economics of creator-owned comics. So if you are either fascinated by the production element of the industry or you want to get into it yourself, those will probably be helpful to people as well. So. Uh, and then you can find Graham Malkin Lane. I mean, Jim, you're welcome to add my private social media, but I do keep my own stuff private because I got kids. But you can find Graham Malkin Lane, Graham Malkin PP, like podcast on Twitter, Graham Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. Right after we release this, uh, the next episodes on the show are the trial of Sean Cassidy. We, ha uh, we have a, a Banshee focused episode, which is wonderful, uh, followed by our review of Century X-Men number one with Mr. Tom Brevoort. Uh, the next Patreon episode after this one is going to be all about the Crimson Dawn with the incredible writer Ben Rabb, uh, who I'm so excited to welcome back to the show. Uh, Jim, thank you for your time and talents, my friend. I, uh, I, it's such an honor to sit with you. I had a great my time. My pleasure. It's great. And like I said, um, I really never want to take this stuff for granted. When readers tell me that they enjoy the stories, that they appreciate that I do the homework, that the stuff works for them and it feels feels like the logical next kind of step in the, the story of these characters, but that they're entertained and they don't quite know where it's going to go next. That's, that's all you can hope for when it comes to, you know, uh, putting really cool new little uh, rooms and, and places in the house of ideas.
We're still stuck in the 60s on my show, but we get a double podcast about Psylocke on the Patreon. So we're uh, awesome. we're here with Sapphire Sticks this week, and we'll be, be uh, Psylocke and the Crimson Dawn next time. <laughs> awesome. Hey, all right, everybody. Hey, thank you for listening. Uh, Jim, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we will see you back here next time on Game Alton Lane. Take care.